The pandemic has created yet one more thing employers have to worry about. This is the Issues Watch podcast. Hi, I'm Don Meyer, Chief Marketing Officer of the New Jersey Society of CPAs and your guest host for episode 65. As businesses continue to reopen amid the pandemic, a significant challenge persists for employers, preventing wage and hour violations. Compliance efforts will be under scrutiny and the impact of any mistakes will be magnified. Even before the pandemic hit, employers saw the enactment of numerous laws that dramatically upped the penalties for wage and hour violations. The NJCPA and the business community in general oppose these measures as they move through the legislature. Here to talk about the biggest wage and hour mistakes employers should avoid is Kathleen Caminiti, a partner at Fisher Phillips, a national labor and employment firm representing employers. She is the co-chair of the firm's wage and hour and pay equity practice groups. Welcome, Kathy. Very nice to meet you, Don. Uh, I uh, really enjoy working with the New Jersey CPA community and the topic of remote work and the wage and hour issues that it raises um, can't be overstated. And frankly, in New Jersey, as we'll talk about today, the, the wage and hour compliance issues really need to be top of mind for the CPA community and, and the law community. So I'm, I'm really uh, grateful for the opportunity to have this conversation with you. Yeah, this seems like one of those issues that CPAs or attorneys or professionals in general don't talk about until maybe it's too late. Well, you know, I, I, I've said many times that, you know, attorneys and CPAs are their clients' trusted advisors. And, you know, sometimes we're in a position to try to um, help them work out naughty issues. And sometimes the best advice we can give them is compliance issues, how to make sure that their house is in order so that they're complying with the, the laws, whether it's a tax law or an employment law, so that their, their businesses as business owners, CPAs, are many have their own firms, whether they're big or small, and their clients um, are, are well positioned um, in, you know, to, to handle an audit, to handle litigation, to, proper, to avoid both uh, audit and litigation. So um, I agree with you. We are trusted advisors. And very often the, the question comes up uh, in, you know, a situation where you're involved in an audit or, or you're, 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 there's trouble brewing. And so it's really uh, nice to be able to have this conversation today when we're, when we're addressing issues pre-act, pro, uh, proactively. Right, exactly. And we know in New Jersey, compliance is always a challenge, always an issue, but... Why is wage and hour reporting particularly troublesome during the pandemic? Well, really, there's a couple of different issues that are driving it. First, you know, changing work environment. You know, folks aren't in the office during normal situation where you, you maybe you work nine to five thirty with a half hour of lunch. Um, people's comings and goings are kind of in a rhythm. Um, you, that people are used to recording their time accordingly. With the pandemic, we were all forced to be um, work remotely immediately. And that came with challenges in terms of flexibility. I mean, some, some people have um, children that they're, they're um, remote learning as well. 
So they may need to take some time to assist with educational activities, or they may be sharing a computer. Um, so there's flexibility that has um, arisen. Other issues are longer hours. Um, you hear anecdotally that that people say, you know, we're um, we're always working, you know, and part of that is it's omnipresent. You know, you could just walk down the hall and your computer's there. So you'll, some people will check an email. Some people will, will stay the extra time because they're, you know, not, um, they don't have a commute. But the, the issues really come up is that non-exempt people, people who are paid hourly, minimum wage and overtime, you need to record that time and they're, they must be paid for all time work. So in the pandemic, the issues became just the, the change of what the new normal is, but the need to record that time and make sure that you're recording it accurately and address things like the flexibility in terms of work schedules and, and make sure that people are, are um, recording while their time worked, um, even if it's, you know, uh, beyond what's authorized. And we know another uh, big issue in New Jersey is penalties when you do something wrong. So what kind of penalties can an employer be looking at if uh, they violate wage and hour regulations? Well, the penalties in New Jersey, Don, are more um, extensive than any other state in the country. Uh, August of 2019, the Wage Theft Act was enacted by New Jersey. Uh, which significantly enhanced penalties that were available for non-compliance. So there is a treble damages if there's money owed, 200% on top of the monies owed is added as liquidated damages. There's a six-year statute of limitations, which means that for any violation, there's a six-year time period that could uh, be triggered for a lawsuit. There are, uh, that, and that's just litigation. Uh, the state can oppose penalties. Uh, the Department of Labor can oppose penalties for purposes of violations, $500 to $1,000 per violation, and then for $1,000 and $2,000 for every violation thereafter. With that Wage Theft Act, um, there are now the possibilities of criminal penalties, including jail time under the New Jersey Act. There are significant record-keeping issues that could create um, violations for failing to keep regulatory. Um, there's an anti-retaliation provision that we'll probably discuss today. Um, and then there's also um, the possibility of having license suspensions, stop work orders, really um, issues for compliance that if a, a business is not in compliance, uh, the Department of Labor can shut you down. So, um, you know, some of these issues, criminal and stop work orders, tend to be more issues that come up in serious violations or repetitive violations, but they're all with, within the realm of possibilities legally. So, you know, for our clients as, as lawyers and, and CPAs, the potential for um, serious penalties um, really exist. And, and frankly, oh, there's also an attorney's fee shift that would come in play in terms of uh, litigation. So a small violation could of even a couple thousand dollars could, could yield, you know, tens of thousands of dollars of, of, you know, liability and costs. Not to mention that if it's the type of problem that, that covers 
group of people who are similarly situated or there's a common issue, um, there could be a class or collective action. So uh, if it sounds a bit draconian, it is. Uh, the penalties really are very, very significant. Well, it's New Jersey, right? So they, the penalties yeah. are <laughs> <laughs> um, perfect no, together. Right, exactly. Um, now, I know a few years ago, the misclassification of employees as independent contractors became a big issue for the Department of Labor. Uh, there were companies receiving notices, uh, warnings almost about misclassifying um, uh, independent contractors or employees as independent contractors. Um, has this gotten worse during the pandemic? Has it been more prevalent, less prevalent? What have, what have you seen during the pandemic regarding uh, independent contractors and being classified as employees or vice versa? Well, first, I think it's useful to kind of um, remind everybody that the classification of independent contractors um, in New Jersey is a big, a big deal. Uh, the law presumes that workers are employees. So there's a presumption of, you know, a W-2 employee for somebody who's working. Um, I know that from a tax perspective, there's different kind of standard than a legal perspective for employment. So, you know, under the employment law, um, New Jersey adopts an ABC test, which really um, covers if an employer has control over the employee um, or the work that's being done. The work is... Um, done in the usual or customary place, then that person would be considered an, an employee, not a contractor. So in order to establish an, app, uh, uh, an independent contractor relationship in uh, New Jersey, um, from an employment perspective, you need to demonstrate absence of control. The work is outside the business, the typical business of the organization, and it's customarily an independent trade, right? So we, we say, okay, you know, consider your plumber, you know, does he have a separate standalone business? Now, in the pandemic, there are um, additional challenges that come up. One is that sometimes businesses, especially after the, the uh, real economic hit in March, uh, March and April, where businesses really shut down, there was, you know, shutdown orders in place. Um, you know, some businesses, you know, were reluctant to bring back employees. So they might have bought them back as a contractor. Well, we can't bring you back as an employee, but we'll bring you back as a contractor. That is a problem uh, because if they came back to doing the same work they did before, they're really an employee. And so that could exasperate the situation where, you know, businesses were really struggling, so many still are today, to just kind of keep their heads above water, especially hospitality, restaurants, things like that. So, you know, they may be bringing people back um, as contractors just to make ends meet, um, especially if they don't know what, um, you know, in terms of finances and things like that. But those decisions could really have a problem because really they are um, employees. And uh, it's especially a, a consideration if that former employee um, is collecting unemployment and doing work as uh, an independent contractor. That could raise issues of um, unemployment uh, uh, fraud 
really. And wow. and uh, so that could be a big issue. And, you know, I, I'm not suggesting that anybody's intending to do anything unlawfully. I mean, a lot of businesses are really just trying to make, make ends meet. But um, the independent contractor classification is not the way to make ends meet. And, um, you know, in this gig economy, aren't there some employees who use the independent contractor idea almost as a, a carrot to the employee to say, well, you know, hire me as a contractor as opposed to an employee. So, you know, you won't have to pay me benefits and so forth. So there seems to be sort of like conflicting forces here where the state wants people classified as employees, but in some cases the employee themselves is, is trying to offer oh, sure. the contractor. Oh, yeah. Uh, very often the employer employee wants to be the independent contractor because they're taking, you know, there's a tax issue. You know, right. there, there's a certain taxation involved, as you well know, um, a number of issues. But um, just because the employee wants to be treated as the contractor, the law does not, you know, the law doesn't agree. Right. And in fact, you know, it, emphatically, the law does not agree. And the and the, the risks uh, are very high, very costly to be um, uh, to misclassify somebody as an event contractor. So what, what are the consequences if you run afoul of the law misclassifying employee? Or does it sort of depend on the situation? Well, you know, I mean, again, the, the state of New Jersey, um, as well as um, the law in terms of civil litigation, there's a lot of um, potential exposure. One, in terms of the state, the state can recover, I think it's 5% of the worker's gross earnings as a penalty, um, as well as um, it's like a $250 uh, misclassified employee penalty um, and up to 1000 per each worker. So it's not just one person, but a whole series of people, that could be a big issue. Um, you know, another issue is um, liability and exposure to the state for things like unpaid taxes, unpaid, unpaid um, temporary disability benefits, risks um, with respect to paid sick leave and things like that that are really, um, you know, at issue um, for exposures. Um, again, that stop workout order and the, the um, you know, the potential that your license could be um, at risk. Um, yeah. And then on the other side, you have, um, or as a companion, it's not really on the other side, the risk of civil litigation. If there's any unpaid overtime that an independent contractor um, might uh, incur if they were, you know, keeping track of overtime, the employer would owe that as well. Plus that, you know, the liquidated damages and things that we talked about earlier. So you really, there's exposure to penalties from the state perspective. If there's any sort of unpaid overtime, that would also be subject to that 200% uh, um, liquidated damages, attorney's fees, et cetera. So um, it's a big deal um, for purposes of uh, uh, liability. Um, and it, frankly, it's just not worth it. What about the other um, category or, or another category of misclassification that is uh, exempt versus non-exempt? I, I would. Well, I remember when I transitioned from one to the other, I, I had no clue what it meant. I would venture to say that most employees don't know whether they're exempt or non-exempt. Right. But from an employer standpoint, from the state standpoint, uh, how important is that distinction? Well, it's important um, because 
uh, exempt employees are exempt from the Fair Labor Standards Act, which is a federal law, but New Jersey follows the Fair Labor Standards Act. So to be exempt, you need to be guaranteed a weekly salary of $684. You need to um, perform certain duties, you know, and it would be typically it's the professional exemptions we'd be talking about here. So um, executive, basically the boss who is responsible for the direction of two or more uh, people, they hire, they fire, they they, uh, handle those issues, or the administrative exemption, somebody who's uh, responsible for kind of a non-manual um, aspect of the workplace, um, but you know they exercise discretion over matters of significance. So you, you think about your white-collar exemptions; those people are exempt. It's not just the salary, but it's the salary plus those duties. Um, when you look at um, and the, and the risk there is if you're not if somebody is not improperly classified as exempt and they're non-exempt, they're entitled to minimum wage and overtime. So then you get that issue of whether there's a a minimum wage, um, excuse me, an overtime violation, and you you know that uh, as well. It may be that uh, an individual previously was exempt. They were salaried, you know, back... uh, before February of 2020. They were a salaried employee and they, they held those duties that made them exempt. But certain things um, may have happened in the last year that changed that. One could be that they're no longer salaried in a way that's expected. So the salary is a predetermined rate that you get every week, week in and week out. So if somebody's hours have changed so that they're only they're furloughed, for example, that may alter the salary basis. If now they're working four days and they've suffered uh, a change in pay rate and a pay change in salary, um, the employer needs to be make sure that it's their that new salary is established. Not just that they're paying 80% of the old salary, but their new salary and new duties are, are negotiated because otherwise you're, you're violating the salary basis and that could be an issue. Another area where the pandemic um, has shown to have um, raised issues of, in terms of exemption, non-exemption, is some jobs have changed. So for example, um, you know, again, in the hospitality restaurant world, it may be that somebody was a manager. They were responsible for directing the work of two or more people. They were doing, you know, their duties was management or were management. Um, But in certain businesses, you know, you've lost or furloughed employees and now the manager is also doing non-exempt work where they may no longer be directing the the work of two or more employees. So they may not have meet the classification. So it's important to be looking at um, the the issues of whether the employee the employees still meet that that those tests because they are um, you know uh, important and uh, and and the again the general rule um, is uh, under the federal law and the state law you're presumed to be non-exempt. Um, so the, the employer bears the burden. You mentioned uh, a couple of scenarios related to the pandemic, and that kind of ties into my last question about miscalculation of wages. Have we seen more 
employee complaints against employers because so much of this stuff happened on the fly where salaries may have been adjusted and perhaps the communication wasn't there. So have we seen more employee complaints against employers because they feel like they're getting shortchanged on their wages? You know, I don't know that we've seen more uh, complaints at this point. Um, I feel like they're kind of just about to pop. Um, you know, there's been, uh, I think most businesses and employees have felt like they're, you know, drinking from a fire hose. And so um, there's been lots of issues. And, and frankly, people are happy to have jobs um, if they have them. So um, there, we have not seen a deluge of wage and hour complaints um, to date. Um, but that doesn't mean that, that they're not going to be, uh, you know, on the horizon. As I said, the, the, um, the rule is a six-year statute of limitations. That's a long time. Um, and so when you're looking at potential issues, um, you know, they may, may crop up. And the misclassification issues or miscalculation of issues, sometimes it's just an honest mistake, um, you know, that that raises issues of whether somebody's owed um, monies for purposes of, um, you know, miscalculation of uh, wages or maybe not all time work was was uh, included in the um, in, in the paycheck. Now, what, uh, you know, we, we've all uh, been trying to grow accustomed to different schedules, um, restaurants, um, office workers, trying to figure out that balance between working from home, working in the office. What is an employer's obligation if they schedule somebody for work and then for either because the person comes in and they're sick or that maybe there's no work that day, perhaps the rules around a restaurant have changed. What is an employer required to do if they schedule an employee and then they have to send them home for some reason? Well, New Jersey law requires that, um, absent another agreement, that the employee would be get paid an hour's worth of wages, you know, so that they would be required to get paid an hour's worth of wages. Where I'm seeing um, bigger risk, frankly, is the failure to um, capture all the hours worked. You know, the pandemic has, um, you know, created challenges for employers in terms of making sure that they're capturing their hours work. And this would go for our CPAs on behalf of their own business, as well as their clients' businesses. So, you know, uh, when individuals are working remotely, um, you know, you don't have people walking in the door at 9 a.m. And, and clocking on necessarily. The, the, the flexibility um, makes it more important to capture that, that time if somebody's taking two or three hours out of the day in the middle of the day. Um, another area is um, individuals, if they work overtime, even if it's not authorized, they need to be paid. And so, and, you know, in your business and my business, we, we may be working till six or seven at night, but our non-exempt staff um, are going to, um, their hours, if you're on a 40-hour a week uh, basis um, without overtime, really that's, they shouldn't be working more than that without, without overtime. And a lot of times people will go the extra mile and we're very grateful for that, right? So we're grateful when we have an assistant who's going to stay that extra time for us 
but we need to pay that person. And, um, you know, or, you know, if you have a habit, a bad habit, but a habit that many professionals have of texting their, their assistant, that, geez, I forgot to ask for this. Can you help me find this? You know, they really should be paid for that time. And, um, you know, the best practice is to say, please put in for that time. Please, please, you know, do a timekeeping exception and, and make sure you're you're paying for that time. It's important uh, because it, you know, as we've seen, the, the pennies add to dollars and uh, tens of dollars very quickly. We've covered a number of uh, specific wage and hour concerns because of the pandemic. Is there anything we haven't discussed yet that is a bit of a concern because so many people are are working remotely? Well, I think there's a difficulty of, of tracking hours. That's one thing that you know we just need to be um, mindful of. The Federal Department of Labor recognized that um, back in July and and you know provided some guidance there, talking about flexibility and talking about the the need to keep records. New Jersey, again, has, um, you know, pretty strict record keeping requirements, um, more stringent than uh, most states and the federal government. And so we need to keep those accurate records. One of the things that we didn't talk about is if you make a mistake or if you're hearing this podcast and thinking, oh boy, you know, I've got a mistake there, there you can correct it. You know, you can correct it. Um, you know, by issuing a retro check, um, if there is a, a claim made and you get a demand letter from somebody saying you owe money, um, you can, in good faith, if it's an honest, good faith mistake, um, pay that without the payment of um, liquidated damages, which is part of the, the the law that went into effect in August of 2019. Now, you know, that's not a rule that if I get caught you know, I'll, I'll make my retro. It's a, oh, geez, it's an honest mistake, and, right. and I'll make that correction. But it is an ad- advantage um, that we have uh, here in, under the New Jersey um, law. Um, you know, the other thing is, you know, you need to have reasonable timekeeping uh, systems, requirements. Uh, you need to have something. Um, there is no such thing as volunteering uh, in the uh, professional work uh, circumstance. So your assistant can't volunteer to work overtime uh, as a charitable deduction to you or your firm. Um, and comp time, that's another issue, uh, especially for CPAs. You know, you're in the middle of your, your busy season, although this year it may seem like all, all seasons are busy seasons, right. but, you know, um, you have to pay overtime. Um, on a week work week basis, I think everybody knows that, but it's helpful to hear. So you can't say, oh, nobody really wants to be, you know, what do we care? We'll work in February and March and then come, you know, we'll get our vaccines and we'll take, you know, a lot of time off during the summer. It would be nice, I think, but comp time is not record recognized, um, you know, legally. Um, oh, one other good. thing that, I, that you should be aware of. The New Jersey law has pretty strict retaliation provisions. So if somebody makes a complaint about a wage and hour uh, problem, you can't terminate them um, without raising a potential presumption of retaliation. 
So if, if somebody is ra- raising uh, wage and hour issues in terms of a compliance complaint, be mindful that uh, if you terminate them within 90 days, that could raise a, a presumption of retaliation and um, you know, potential significant uh, damages and liability there as well. It's, it's good to know that employers can take some corrective um, measures in order to fix any, as you put it, honest, honest mistakes. Because I would imagine, and I, I hope I'm not being too naive here, but I would imagine a lot of the mistakes that happen are honest mistakes, especially amongst small business owners who aren't necessarily experienced in, in tracking hours and all these other rules that, that you just mentioned. I mean, you're an expert in them. Um, a, a small business owner probably doesn't have uh, access or uh, resources uh, to someone like you. Um, so it's good to know that somebody can take uh, corrective and uh, corrective measures if if something goes wrong. Yeah, absolutely. It's important. I would think um, you'd really want to think about it and maybe seek some advice um, because you don't want to have those corrections used against you. Um, so you really, I think if you're making corrections, if, if it's, you know, uh, something that's a little bit more systemic or just an honest mistake that you didn't realize that you needed to pay somebody for something. Um, you might want to, um, you know, seek a little bit of advice before you put uh, something in writing um, because it could be used against you. So it's, it's certainly a valuable tool that's available, but you might want to get a little bit of advice before you um, put pen to paper. Um, well, seeking professional assistance is, a, is always a good idea. Yeah, there you go. Uh, one last question. So all of these things we've just talked about, uh, New Jersey lawmakers are calling for a special commission to study ways that the shift to remote work during the pandemic has affected issues like overtime, worker retention, productivity, and so forth. Any, any thoughts on that? Well, I think it's a great idea that they're studying um, you know, that issue. I think remote work uh, has changed dramatically in the last year. Um, you know, it, before 2020, I would say it was the exception rather than the rule. And now I think um, people like working remotely. So there's going to be cultural issues and challenges as we return to the to the office because people like working in their sweatpants and their, their commute, which is just a walk down the hall. So that's going to be an, an issue. Um, businesses also um, some of them are embracing remote work because it, it reduces the cost of their real estate footprint. So, you know, that's another issue I'm sure that, you know, some of you are dealing with trying to figure out what are we doing with leaseholds and how to account for those if, if leases are giving are being given up. So I would say I think it's great that the state is examining those issues. I think it's just as important for the employers and businesses and their accountants and their lawyers to be examining those issues with them uh, because the the real-time examination of, of remote work and what it means for your organization, for an organization, um, is important. And a, a commission on remote, remote work um, may not yield any meaningful um, guidance for a year or now, um, yet some businesses are making these decisions next quarter in terms of, you know, we'd like to have, you know, folks back in the office by June 1, you know, 
where we're going to have certain remote remote workforce during that period of time, you know, what is that going to look like? And so um, I think it's great to have that commission studying that. Um, but but employers and, and businesses that are thinking about remote work should really be thinking about having policies and procedures in place, having a remote work agreement, not a, an agreement that alters your at will arrangement, but an agreement that sets forth um, eligibility. Not everybody can be um, eligible for remote work, you know, even in a hospital, you know, a nurse needs to go to work. The admin may not need to go to work. Uh, in terms of remote work. So you need to kind of uh, determine as an organization whether you're going to allow remote work and who is going to be allowed to work remotely. Put to, put in place and in writing some expectations of those, you know, here are your hours, you're expected to be available. I mean, work is work, right? Work isn't babysitting or, you know, taking kids to the park. It may be if you've got flexibility and there's an understanding that somebody between, you know, 2.30 and 3.30 is going to be picking up their kids from, from work. But that's got to be that understanding, both in terms of, you know, employee-employer friction and compliance. You know, you don't have to pay for time at that. Um, and so it's a good idea to have policies in place and to have a remote work agreement that is terminable. You know, it may be for the first six months we want to continue remote work, but ultimately an organization's long-term goal may be to have everybody back in the office because there's collaborative needs. So to, to maintain that expectation and control is important, um, both for the employee and the employer. Um, and also, I would think from tax perspective, you know, um, Far beyond what I can provide as an employment lawyer, you're looking at what tax laws are, are, are um, is it New York rules or New Jersey rules, or if somebody's moved down to Florida, you know, how, would, how are those rules going to, uh, going to apply, I think are essential to kind of um, think through. There'll be a lot of rewriting of employee manuals and, and uh, employer policy <laughs> for the next six months. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And writing and rewriting, to, uh, to be honest, Don, you know, there's a lot of the, the, the world changed on a dime last year. And, you know, the new normal will be a new normal. But we're, you know, we're our employers, our companies, our clients are really, you know, struggling to to get this right. And, and great new things are happening. I mean, it's very exciting time to be. Uh, an employer and a, a lawyer and a, a tax accountant and CPAs, but but it's um, struggling. I'm not so sure that our clients would be saying, "Oh, this is great," but you know, there are opportunities that are there uh, and that people are seizing on, and we're excited for that. Right. Well, the, the genie's out of the bottle uh, in terms of remote work. So I think it's we have to adjust uh, to kind of the next normal of what work is going to look like. And, and I, I say that speaking to you from literally an empty office. Um, a year ago, yeah. 30 people in this office, and right now I'm the only person in our office. So, you know, it, it'll be different than that six months from now, hopefully, or, or a year from now. But yeah, I think we're all mm -hmm. going to adjust um, in a lot of ways to, to remote work. I think that I think that uh, that about wraps it up. I uh, I want to thank you for joining us today. It was incredibly informative. Um, really appreciate your time, Kathy. 
Yeah, I really appreciate this. As I said, I've I've worked with with you and the NJCPA organization and and your members, and um, I think it's an exciting time. Uh, it's challenging times, and really, if the if you've learned you know nothing from today's podcast from an an employment law perspective, compliance matters. Um, and and being proactive and and kind of making sure you know the rules and you're in a place to to um, you know uh, guide your clients' business and your business really will be uh, pay dividends and really substantially reduce those risks. Well, thank you very much, Kathy. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks very much. To learn more about employment law issues and see a schedule of upcoming employment law events visit njcpa.org slash topics slash employment law. To learn more about Fisher Phillips, visit fisherphillips.com.